This podcast has been developed for financial advisor use and provides general information only and does not take into account any particular individual's objectives, financial situations or needs. BT Investment Talk by BT Investment Solutions is a monthly podcast produced exclusively for Australian financial advisors. Our investment experts, together with some of the world's leading fund managers, will provide thought leadership on a wide range of investment topics. Investment Talk is all about looking beyond the numbers, helping advisors cut through the noise, enabling them to have meaningful investment and portfolio construction conversations with their clients. Hello and welcome to our second episode of BT Invest Talk. I'm Matt Harvey, Senior Investment Specialist with the BT Investments team. Today, I'm fortunate enough to be joined by two fixed interest portfolio managers in Yujo Chan and Jay Sivapalan. Yujo, of course, is one of our own, reporting into Dan Park, Head of Rates, and Dan, of course, reports into our CIO, Corin Collicott. And together with Dan, it's Yujo's role to identify, blend, and monitor our fixed interest managers across our suite of portfolios. And within our Australian fixed interest universe, one of those underlying managers is Janice Henderson, and the portfolio manager for, for that particular strategy is Jay. So, gentlemen, thank you for your time. Thank, thank, thank you, you, Matt. Uh, we're going to talk all things fixed interest and, and unpack what's happening in the bond markets in a moment. Uh, but before we do, I just wanted to provide a very quick update on the core series portfolios for the month of March. Um, so over the month, we did not have to change the strategic asset allocation manager lineup or rebalance the portfolios. However, with the rally in equities, all portfolios have drifted to be slightly overweight Australian and international shares relative to their target weights. Uh, but as I said, not at a point where we believe it warrants rebalancing. Um, in terms of performance, all portfolios continue to outperform their CPI plus return objectives since inception. And at an underlying fund level, as the rotation from growth to value has continued, our Australian and international equity value managers have delivered strong relative returns over the March quarter. Uh, but if you want more information, I encourage you to jump on our website, bt.com.au forward slash core series, uh, where you can download the, uh, the monthly and quarterly reports. Um, so gentlemen, with that, um, I thought I'd kick it off with a, a, a bit of an anecdote uh, of my time in my previous role where I was running money for high net worths and charities and not-for-profits. Uh, quite often, I would sit in the portfolio review meeting. It would be myself, the advisor, and the end client. And the client would point at their fixed interest allocation and say, you know, what is this? And more often than not, the advisor's response would be, well, that's the defensive part of your portfolio. It provides a stable income stream, um, and it provides you diversification benefits, particularly in times of market distress. And if the client was to ask, well, how's the portfolio, the fixed interest portfolio been performing? If we looked at the, the composite benchmark um, as at the end of December 2020, over that five-year period, you know, returns are in the order of four and five percent. And so clients are usually pretty happy and, and the conversation moves on. But if I fast forward to the start of this calendar year, it's obviously been a different story. And, and we've seen negative absolute returns across fixed interest asset classes. And so, you, Joe, I might throw it to you, this question to you first. Um, perhaps just give us an overview of, of what's what's <laughs> happened. Um, there's been plenty uh, of talk in the press around inflation, yield curve control, a lot to um, digest there for advisors and their clients. And I think probably secondly and, and more perhaps more interestingly, when you're going around talking to our underlying managers like Jay, what, what are they telling you? Is there a consistent theme that's emanating? Sure. 
Thanks, thanks, Matt. Uh, look, I think there's really two parts to your question, so let's address them separately. Um, to your first question of, of what happened around in, in Q1 this year, no doubt many of you would have seen the negative returns posted across our bond portfolios, particularly during the month of February. What we saw was a sharp increase in yields accompanied by a dramatic steepening in the yield curve. So the risk reflation, uh, the risk of this reflation trade gathered momentum as markets became more confident in the global recovery profile. So evidence of the rollout of the vaccines and the continued government support, both on the fiscal side and the loose monetary policy settings, um, pretty much gave uh, a lot of positive tailwinds to the recovery effort, um, so to speak. So we saw 10-year Australian government bond yields ending the month at 79 basis points higher uh, at 1.92%. So now we do agree that with markets that inflation and cash rates are expected to rise over the, the medium term. We do believe the recent adjustment is somewhat premature to a large extent, given that global policy settings are still expected to remain loose and central banks have explicitly committed to keep cash rates low for the foreseeable one to two years. Um, notably, we saw the RBA left the cash rate unchanged at its latest meeting in March and further they reiterated that they will not raise rates until inflation is sustainably above the 2 to 3% target ban. And to, to, the RBA's, to the RBA's own words, they do not expect this to occur until 2024 at the earliest. So to us, the recent moves are not unexpected, given rates have sort of grinded lower for such an extended period of time. Um, we expect this tug and pull uh, to continue for some time throughout the years, where markets will continue to test the boundaries and central banks reacting accordingly um, by reiterating their forward guidance. Now, coming back to your second question around the Kyrio focused, I think the best way really to answer this is to consider what are actually the drivers of fixed income returns. So if you look across our traditional bond portfolios, the two biggest returns for active, um, from an active perspective are really around duration and yield curve management and active credit selection. So consequently, getting the outright duration, duration core correct remains pivotal to, to, to the success of any bond portfolios. Most of our managers acknowledge it's also very difficult to pick the turning points as bond markets tend to overshoot. However, being able to actively manage the duration positioning um, or even take active bets across various points of the yield curves provides a really invaluable tool for any active strategy to navigate volatile periods, i.e. when bonds sell off and conversely, when, and conversely capture opportunities when, they are, when, the, when bond yields become rich and cheap. On, on the active credit selection uh, piece, most of our traditional managers have always been long credit relative to the benchmark, given they provide a rich source of excess carry. This is particularly valuable when current bond yields are close to zero. However, our managers are also acutely aware that credit, the credit outlook remains somewhat uncertain. Added with the fact that credit spreads are currently very tight, it Prudent active selection, therefore, is a prerequisite to navigate the current cycle, uh, given that the risk return dynamics are no longer as favorable as what we've seen during the past six months. So to that extent, our managers have remained conservative, investing only in companies or industries that have proven business models that have not been impacted by COVID. So hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, no, very comprehensive. And Jay, I might bring you in here. You, Joe, touched on that inflation story and I think uh, perhaps one of the biggest questions we've been getting from advisors is concerns around that and I guess the biggest concern is if inflation gets ahead of where the market is 
pricing it, then potentially you could see a sell-off across equities and bonds, which is obviously troublesome for total portfolio returns. But could you just give us your thoughts or insights as to how you see that inflation story playing out in an Australian context? Yeah, sure, Matt. Um, So I guess from an investor's perspective, um, certainly expectations of future uh, inflation has been rising. Um, So what what I might do uh, perhaps is first address inflation from a short, a medium and a longer term perspective, uh, and then really talk about the ramifications of that uh, and also the opportunities of that for investors um, right across um, risk assets like equities and property and, and, and infrastructure and so on, uh, and then also defensive assets like fixed income. Um, from a uh, inflation perspective, we will have some near-term blip in inflation, uh, and that's largely driven from last year's lockdowns. So a number of supply chains were um, impacted last year. So as the economy starts to recover, Um, We will have businesses and households wanting to get on and rebuild their lives and and rebuild their homes and rebuild businesses. Uh, And there's a supply chain backlog, effectively. Um, The second, from an Australian context, um, but also quite applicable for many countries around the world, is the fact that we don't have foreign workers entering um, uh, the the country. Um, That means there are some wages pressure that will come through in the near term. Once we get through this initial let's call it red cordial phase, Um, this initial recovery, and it is a very strong recovery in terms of the Australian economy, um, we will then moderate back. Uh, And then the preconditions that you need for inflation to start lifting is really, in our eyes, an unemployment rate towards or below 4%. Uh, And perhaps drilling a little bit deeper into that is the underemployment rate and the underutilisation rate. So when we think about inflation, you know, that period leading up to the GFC, we had minimal underemployment, and that's why we had wages inflation of 3 to 5%. The next decade after that, leading up to COVID-19, uh, we had quite a bit of underutilisation and underemployment, and that's why inflation didn't pick up. So we really need to get back to those very tight conditions. So we'll likely see a period where inflation remains relatively tame, perhaps higher than where they are today, but relatively tame, uh, uh, for some time. Now, if I reflect a little bit more longer term, let's say five to 10 years, you know, one one of the um, benefits, but also challenges of the policy tools that were used during COVID is a significant buildup of debt, and in particular government debt around the world, and indeed here in Australia. Uh, And there's really only a couple of ways to Um, manage high levels of debt and sustain high levels of debt. A, to grow and inflate your way out, uh, or B, to go through austerity measures and reduce debt. Uh, Governments are certainly, and policymakers are certainly choosing the former. Uh, And so in doing so, what we will see that when inflation eventually turns up, central banks will look to be more tolerant of inflation and accept a reasonable level of inflation in the longer run to be able to grow company revenues, company earnings, et cetera. Uh, and that should help deal with the level of debt. I just want to pick your brain there on, on the RBA intervention. Um, and, and you touched on wage inflation being a point to watch. Uh, and certainly that's something that the RBA uh, have telegraphed to the market. But in terms of their intervention in the market, I think it's well understood advisors and their clients get that uh, that zero to three year end of the curve, the RBA 
keeping rates at um, 10 basis points. I know it's ticking up in a little bit, but in terms of what the RBA is doing at the longer end of the curve, that five to 10 year period, and that seems to be where all the action's happening at the moment. Could you just give us a sense of what is it that they're, they're doing in that part of the curve? Yeah, so Matt, uh, last year when the Reserve Bank of Australia really started our quantitative easing program uh, and, and having learnt a lot of lessons from other countries, um, they really had two objectives. Firstly, to provide liquidity and improve the liquidity conditions, so in bond markets. So they were buying instruments like um, government bonds, like <coughs> state government bonds, etc. The second objective was to lower the cost of borrowing for all borrowers. Uh, and they were quite explicit about that. So this is not just households, i.e. a mortgage rate, um, but also to lower the cost of borrowing for governments, effectively creating that fiscal space so governments could do more borrowing. So coming back to your question, um, what had they have been doing is undertaking firstly the term funding facility for the banks. Uh, that is to allow banks to be able to borrow cheaply to on-lend. Uh, secondly, the quantitative easing programs, which has been depressing bond yields and keeping bond yields low, keeping the borrowing costs low uh, for the broader economy. Excellent. And, and you, Joe, um, Jay just touched on uh, the stimulus side of things. And, and from a fiscal point of view, we've seen governments, both federal and at a state level, issue new debt to ultimately fund their fiscal policies. And I guess one of the consequences of that is that from the benchmark perspective, we've seen the duration of the benchmark increase over time. So uh, what impact does that have on, say, the volatility of fixed interest as an asset class? My understanding is that if the duration increases, then obviously the sensitivity to any movement in rates will have a greater impact on, on bond valuations. Do advisors need to um, set a new expectations in terms of the overall volatility of bonds within portfolios, do you think? Sure. Look, that's a good question. And yes, um, the duration or the benchmark duration for you know general bond portfolios have obviously been rising due to the increased uh, issuance of government debt. Um, that number has somewhat stabilised, and I think the latest numbers for the Aussie Composite Benchmark sits at somewhere around 5.7 years. So yes, there, there are some sort of increasing concerns around the sensitivity of um, bond portfolios to rises in interest rates. However, I would encourage uh, everyone to look at it from a different perspective because the reason why you own traditional fixed income portfolios is that it provides you that defensive hedge in the overall portfolio. So yes, whilst we acknowledge that if you look at the recent returns on, on a one-year basis, I think the, the portfolios came in at negative 0.62% over the one-year period. Uh, however, if you were a long-term investor, I think these returns are somewhat less uh, meaningful because at the end of the day, your bond portfolio is there to provide that negative hedge. So um, whilst we acknowledge that the returns were negative, if you look at across your equity or your riskier parts of your portfolio, they would have delivered fantastic returns for your for the underlying investor. So on the overall, you would have come up well ahead um, as, as opposed to earning just a specific part of a, a, a portfolio and vice versa. And when markets were selling off in March, April last year, uh, conversely, these bond portfolios were doing very well, uh, providing that hedge, as I, as I talked about. So I think, yes, in short, the volatility of any bond portfolio is likely to stay. 
However, however, this should not be really a cause for alarm, particularly if you're a long-term investor with a diversified portfolio consisting of both bonds and equities. Yeah, and I guess the other lens you could take on it is uh, the importance of using active management in this period. And Jay, just to round out our conversation, um, looking back at the returns of your portfolio, uh, you obviously navigated the COVID situation really well. So I'm interested to understand what was it that you did to also you know protect on the downside, um, but secondly, your outlook and, and where you're seeing the biggest opportunities moving forward. Yeah, so reflecting um, back over the past 12 months, and in particular that period when COVID hit, um, we really saw that as a one in 10 year opportunity in a range of areas. Um, markets were dislocated and price discovery was very poor. Um, so essentially, uh, investors who could be the other side of the market um, could really capture very good value. Um, so let me give you a couple of examples. Um, the first one, we spoke about inflation earlier. Um, essentially, as an investor, you want to be buying inflation protection when no one wants inflation protection. And we saw that in March last year. In fact, uh, we as bond investors were actually getting paid to buy inflation protection. So that was an area where we bought Australian government inflation-linked bonds, uh, which have performed very well over the past 12 months. Uh, the second area uh, is corporate credit. Um, even in very high quality companies and, 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 and pandemic proof type companies like Woolworths, mm -hmm. uh, they were unable to fund themselves when the pandemic hit because the bond market or the credit market was largely shut from a liquidity perspective. We approached them directly and we said, look, we lend you money for 10 years. We stated our terms and the pricing that we wanted. They came to the market uh, and we were able to participate in that. So overall, last year was really about taking advantage of um, opportunities in rates markets, whether it's duration or yield curve, uh, in sector allocation. Um, some of the best returns we generated actually wasn't necessarily taking a lot of risk, but lending money to the New South Wales government and the Victorian government. Inflation-linked bonds, as I mentioned. A lot of relative value opportunities. Uh, and then lastly, credit opportunities that I mentioned. Um, looking forward... Um, we really think the environment going forward that you, Joe, touched on and, and what I've touched on today um, is, an, is, is firstly a, a strong and fast recovery of the economy, but one where inflation is not that threatening uh, and one where perhaps is not a threatening environment for bond markets because a lot of the, let's say, lift in cash rate expectations has already been priced into markets. Um, on the flip side, it is an environment going forward that we will have over the next one, two, three years, markets trying to test higher and higher bond yields, which will create the volatility and as an active manager, a lot of opportunities to be able to add value. Um, just quickly on that front, um, last year we were able to add about 300 basis points or 3% additional <clears throat> return to the broader benchmark returns that you just spoke about. Brilliant. Well, here's hoping you can do that in the year ahead. So, gentlemen, thank you both for your time. Uh, that's all we've got time for today. Uh, if you've got any questions, please don't hesitate to reach out. And I encourage you to uh, visit our site, as I said, uh, bt.com.au forward slash core series, uh, where you can find more information on the portfolios. Thank you. Thank you.